Now we have nanotechnology. And with nanotechnology, perhaps, who knows, maybe in 100 years, we'll have something called the replicator. Now the replicator is something you see in Star Trek. It's called the molecular assembler. And it takes ordinary raw materials, breaks them up at the atomic level, and joins the joints in different ways to create new substances. If you have a molecular assembler, you can turn, for example, uh, a glass into wood, or vice versa. You would have the power of a magician. In fact, the power of a god. The ability to literally transform the atoms of one substance into another. You're listening to Mary Cry Radio. Here's Basil and Bob. Hey everyone, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. Uh, my name's Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 65. 65, 65. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm singing everything. Um, uh, What's your thing? It, it is my thing. I think people I, like I just you totally distracted myself. I don't know. What oh, saying. first off, thank you for all the people who have given us reviews on oh, iTunes yeah. and ratings. Yeah, iTunes, ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. Thank you guys so much. We've had a great little influx. Um, but that being said, those of you who have yet to go to iTunes and leave us a review and a rating, please go do that right now. Just pause the episode. We'll wait. Moment of silence. Okay. <laughs> okay, thank you everybody for doing that. And uh, also those of you ordering shirts, you guys are super pumped. Shirts have been going out and arriving and going out to like Norway and places that have really expensive shipping to get t-shirts <laughs> to. <laughs> so, but we've been working that out. So if you're so if you're far away and you still want a t-shirt, we're working it out. So just go ahead and send us an email. Yes, absolutely. And uh, also, if you can give us a little thumbs up on Stitcher and things like that, that we would oh, yeah. appreciate that as well. Oh, and we're also working on getting on Windows stuff. Yeah, somebody had asked about being on the Windows app, and I don't know how easy that is or what it takes. I've been trying to research it. If anyone knows, let us know. We're working on it. Okay, so um, I think that's about it. Yeah, Okay, good. My coffee's kicking in here. So without further ado, we're going to uh, talk about our guest, Dr. Jesse Adams. Talk about or talk to? Well, you're going to talk about him and then we'll talk to him. Oh, okay. All right, here we go. Our guest today is an award-winning speaker, educator, technology developer, and entrepreneur who started Nevada Nano, Nano Labs, and Nano Gems. He is the senior author of the award-winning textbook, Nanotechnology, Understanding Small Systems, and another book, Nanotechnology, The Whole Story. We're excited to welcome our guest today, Dr. Jesse Adams. How you doing, Jesse? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Dr. Jesse Adams, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. Good. You know, I uh, I think it was last year, 2013, that I actually saw you speak at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco. Do you remember that talk? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was funny because it's just a funny story I want to tell. You had brought, when you, which company is it that makes the uh, the medallions? That was uh, Nanogens. It made made about eight of those million digits of pi medallions. 
Right. So yeah, your company uh, made a medallion that had a million digits of pi printed on it. Super, super small. And they made eight of them. And you brought one to the Commonwealth Club to kind of present as a gift. And the lady who was introducing you, I guess as is tradition at the Commonwealth Club, had a gavel. And when she was introducing you, she smacks the gavel and completely destroys one of eight of these medallions and it just shattered glass everywhere which you know was kind of intense but it was cool because i got to bring a piece home (laughs) (laughs) and you handled that really well too you're like oh it's perfect and kind of tied it into your whole thing but that was i felt really bad for her yeah, that was unexpected. I, I thought that was a perfect place to put a medallion. There was a circular wooden pedestal. I didn't know she had a hammer that met that. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it is a little bit your fault for putting it right in the yeah, impact Yeah, yeah. I, I thought, oh, look at this. This this podium has a little circular place that's perfect for my million digits of pie pendant, and I set it right there. <laughs> Ground zero for medallion destruction. Yeah. It shattered and filled the room with glass shards. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So that was uh, that'll be forever a good memory for me. And and that talk as a whole was actually really, really cool and really, really inspiring. You know, it kind of had I don't want to make any comparisons here, but I know that um Neil deGrasse Tyson is really popular now and he's really popular for like putting science in a really inspiring way. And, you know, you kind of had like, you were on the same track there with your talk. I mean, I came away from you talking about quantum physics and nanotechnology, like just pumped about the universe. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So why don't you, um, well, actually, Gon's Gons is pretty excited about the medallion a little bit. Well, yeah, I'm just curious, you know, for for those of us who weren't there to see the shattering of this medallion, can you tell us more about the medallion and and what you know what it is and the million digits of pi and how did you come up with it and what was the uh, the whole premise behind making the medallion? Yeah, yeah, that's a great story. Have you ever seen the uh, TV show Person of Interest? No, I have not. (laughs) Okay, yeah, it's got. It's got um, some good actors in it, and it follows the premise that there's this machine that tracks people and data and can help identify crime before it happens, and these guys are out trying to save the world. Anyway, there's a real real um, kind of keen computer guy in there that, that's in, in deep and programmed the machine, and on one of the shows, he did this whole expose on the number pi and how pi had all the digits of his social security number and digits of everything else and contained basically every, every number and every, every work of Shakespeare, you know, transcribed into digits somewhere in its digits. And I'd never heard anybody explain pi that way, you know, and we just came off a pi day, you know, a few days ago. And I was like, okay, cool. I'd never really understood it. So I started to research pi a little bit. I was like, oh my goodness, that's amazing that, 3.14 3.14 and then it goes on forever and if you think about it to complete a circle you need infinity if you take any line and you say i want to make a circle that has this diameter line you have to multiply that line by pi 
which really goes on forever. So when people right. get married and there's wedding rings, they talk about, you know, an infinite <laughs> love, but really to complete a circle of any line, you need inf- infinite number of digits to complete it. It just goes on forever. That just is mind boggling. Yeah. And one of those kind of patterns in the universe that's, that's amazing. Pi is what's known as an irrational number. Written as a decimal, it has an infinite number of digits arranged in a sequence that never repeats. And it's thought that any number you can possibly imagine will appear in Pi somewhere. From my birthday, to the answer to life, the universe and everything. Because they go on forever, we can never know all the digits that make up Pi. But luckily, we only need the first 39 to calculate the circumference of a circle the size of the entire observable universe, accurate to the radius of a single hydrogen atom. We, we decided to do a tribute. You know, Nanogems has the ability to engrave entire documents. Like we did Romeo and Juliet. We engraved the entire play, every word, onto a little four-millimeter gem. And, wow. And we do things like that. So we did a Kickstarter in 2013 for Pi. And it yeah. was, you know, we're going to engrave a million digits. And we're going to put it on a pendant and then on a desk piece or the medallion uh, that we've been talking about. Right, and we did a Kickstarter, and then we made made these pendants and medallions, and and then the Exploratorium that invented Pi Day to celebrate this amazing number um, has them on loan and actually displayed them on Pi Day, and there was we were part of an exhibit there, so it's really exciting to to get that out there and get the message out that you know Pi is amazing. That number goes on. I found where my phone number is in Pi, where my birthday <laughs> is. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, you could actually. Um, just keep reading. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like every, your entire DNA sequence is in there somewhere because the number just goes on forever. Right. So we, we did that sort of tribute to Pi and um, got picked up by the Exploratorium and it sort of was uh, just our gift to the world. It didn't, it didn't really take off yet. You know, it might next year with, with Pi Day of a Lifetime. In 2015, it'll be Pi Day of a Lifetime because... <laughs> It won't happen for another hundred years that all the like nine digits of pi line up on three, fourteen, fifteen at nine twenty-three in the morning. You know, all these digits are going to line right. up. Right? Yeah, no, I've I've heard about that for next year. Yeah, so we're all stoked on next year. We're going to try to get little gems and pendants out, um, and it's sort of just getting the word out. And then other projects are coming from this where people are wanting us to engrave um, on gems and and then pendants and make little collectibles. So. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Yeah. You know, I remember actually seeing that Kickstarter and people were like posting it on my Facebook and stuff. And, you know, I just was, it was a huge deal actually, I remember. So the Kickstarter worked apparently. Yep. Yep. (laughs) All right. Well, good. Well, yeah, well, that's really rad. And, um, like I said, I still have that little shard after, (laughs) after it got, (laughs) disintegrated you invited everybody to come up and take a piece and i grabbed a piece right um so i'm, I'm sure i got like fifty thousand digits of pi or something on my yeah you piece. got enough there some some little code in there <laughs> I, I actually took like a giant magnifying glass and see if i could like actually try to read some of the digits and <laughs> <laughs> couldn't quite i could see something was on there but i couldn't quite read them 
So, all right. So very cool. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit about these companies that you do or that you started and what, what they do exactly? Yeah, sure. So nano gems is the one we're talking about, and that's just sort of a, an art and art and technology revolution just to bring this sort of new media, this new artistic media to the world that captures meaning and beauty. And there's multi layers and we can work in diamond and sapphire and um, make watch faces and gauges and rings. And so that, that's, that's just our artistic outlet and it's a lot of fun and we hope it lasts forever. Yeah. Uh, then the other two, uh, Nano Labs actually spun out of that artistic company uh, when one of the, the shapes that we made uh, looked really, really promising for laser physicists because like, we use microtechnology. So we, we started doing some work for a laser physicist, and uh, that led to the creation of Nano Labs with a Z. And its main goal right now is to basically enable tabletop nuclear physics. And it's really, really cool. We have oh. a part. We have a partner company in um, in Texas, or a strategic alliance, I should say. Uh, member that makes really high powered lasers uh-huh. and they had the highest power laser in the world uh, just a few years ago they kind of broke this record and it, it's it's in texas and what it can do is just basically put a, uh, a ton of energy in a tiny little amount of time so power is energy divided by time and it gets up into the petawatt you know range it's just huge huge amount of energy like if you if you left it on at that level it would drain the world's energy resources, it's just, but it's only on for like wow. a couple, you know, a hundred femtoseconds. So nobody's, nobody needs to worry, wow. but it's packing this punch. And what it can do is it can rip through a tiny foil. So we make these microscopic metal foils and then it actually rips the electrons off the atoms. And then the, the protons are like, what happened? And so then they, they're like, where are my electrons? Cause they're attracted to each other. And so they rip off the foil, chase their electrons. And so what you've done is you've created a proton source. And there are about 30 facilities in the world that create proton beams for cancer treatment. And it, it's a huge deal, right? You need this huge accelerator. It's a building the size of a football field and you know, gantries and shielding. And it costs about $100 million. So that's how you traditionally accelerate protons. The good news, though, is we got a proton beam, and if you have a brain tumor in, like, the center of your head, you can't get it. They say it's inoperable, and and they say goodbye because there's nothing you can do But with other than protons. With protons, you can shoot through all the brain tissue that's healthy and not damage it and deposit all of this energy at the tumor. So if you have the money... And you have uh, different kinds of cancers. There's, like, there's different examples. There's brain, eye, prostate, uh, left breast for women because uh, the protons won't damage the heart. Right. If they're, and especially if they're younger, younger people, you can actually damage the tumor and not the tissue. For, for women, that would be important to be the heart. You don't want to damage it for complications later. And right. then children are... Um, very susceptible to damage down the road. If you treat them with radiation, the photons, you kind of cook the tissue and you can damage it so that they have trouble later, 20 years, 30 years later. If somebody's 70 years old and you give them radiation treatment, they're like, fine, in 20 years, I don't care what happens, right? Mm -hmm. But for children and then for the examples I just gave you, there are really, really huge advantages to proton therapy. Problem is, 
you get the cancer, you're, you're going to go get it treated. You got to throw down $300,000 for the oh treatment. Gosh. And so you can buy a Ferrari or get a proton therapy treatment. You're like, oh, wow. geez. You know? So that, that's a problem. But the promise is huge. Proton therapy is awesome. So what we're able to do is demonstrate a proof of principle. And in 2009, we got a world record for the energy generated from a laser-based proton source. So the laser smacks this tiny little foil and boop, the protons shoot out the other side. Right. And we got up to 67 mega electron volts which is just enough to start to treat somebody. Like you could start to treat a little eye tumor with that. Wow. So that's the, like getting yourself on the playing field. And so that piqued a bunch of interest. And there's probably about 50 people, researchers around the world working on this at about 10 different institutions. And so we're trying to coordinate and, and be a part of that because we have, you know, this target technology and there's, then you have to kind of spin the targets in front of the laser like a cap gun. So it goes bap, 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 and can keep right. a beam. And there's, there's engineering and, and all this. So our goal is in the next seven years to leverage and find the funding to build a prototype. And if we don't find any showstoppers, then we can enable sort of a, um, a prototype that could go into trials. And then if everything works, right, then you could start to replace at least some of the expensive or enable more. You don't really replace them, but you start to replace the, the need for those expensive machines by li little hospitals could pay 10 million or 2 million and have a little system. So that's huge then. That's, that's a huge, yeah. huge thing for treating cancer, especially, yeah, yeah. especially mean, it, in it, children and, and oh, gosh. people yeah. susceptible to damage. Yeah, it's just, it's really huge. And that for tumors that are inoperable, because if it's right. in the center of the brain, your tissue is going to get damaged and that tissue you can't afford to have damage and that's right. your brain. So um, the traditional radiation therapy has its role, but sort of the leaders in the field say it's, it's on its way out. As soon as proton therapy can be cost effective for everybody, it will replace photon hands down. Your traditional right. radiation therapy will be a thing of the past. Wow. So it's just a matter of bringing the cost down. And we'll, we're on a track that looks promising, but it's still a long track. There, there are hurdles. There are things that need to be done that haven't right. been done. So Yeah. Well, very, very cool. And what was that? Was Nano Labs you said? Yeah, yeah. What about Nevada Nano? Nevada Nano uh, just won an R and D 100 award in 2013 for the molecular property spectrometer, and that's a single chip based uh, chemical sensing platform. So it's this little configurable chip that can be adjusted, uh, trained, tuned to sniff for, uh, smell, and identify different chemicals in the air. And also adapted to work in liquid to look at proteins and, and other, and other um, biological materials in liquid. Wow. So what it has the potential to do uh, on, on land, this <laughs> looks so like land and, and water creature here. On land, uh, we envision it being sort of in every cell phone um, in every building. Um, for the cell phones, it could be trained to look for ethanol. Uh, as a breathalyzer and also for acetone for diabetes detection and working out. When you're working out, you start to get some uh, acetone on your breath if you're burning fat. Wow. So you could find out if your workout's going well. Uh, diabetics can also use it for monitoring blood sugar levels. And then you can use it for safety applications. Like if you're in an environment where there's too much carbon monoxide or there's a gas leak, you know, wow. and you're sleeping, you know, it could alarm that kind of stuff. That really brings the whole iPhone up to a whole nother level of necessity in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll take Android too. We want to put them in all of them, but yeah. You, there you, you go. 
Yeah, it really does. And, um, wow, yeah, and that's enables, crazy. Yeah, distributed chemical sensing. And so you can just think about it. We're working with uh, several industrial partners now, um, two specifically, and then we're in discussions with a third, just for the ton of applications, as you can imagine, for in, industrial safety, for monitoring, um, just having distributed chemical monitoring at a price and a functionality of usefulness that you haven't had before. Um, so we're working to enable that, and it, it's been a process of about 10 years, and now we're starting to get some traction. Cool. Very cool. Well, just out of curiosity, just to get a get our heads around how small of a scale we're talking about, do you have a, an example or an illustration of some kind to help us wrap our heads around how small this nano level is? Yeah, yeah. So there's... There's a whole slew of things we just talked about. Um, a, a lot of the the structures that we use for chemical sensing and uh, laser physics, those laser physics targets, they're on the micron scale. So, so a cantilever, for example, one of the sensing elements is 100 microns long. Some of the films are 100 nanometers thick on the back of it. But 100 microns is the diameter of a human hair. So if you pull the hair off your head and try to look at the end, you can't really see the circle at the end, right? Right. But if you put it on a microscope, it looks kind of like the end of a log, you know, or maybe there's some some skin on it. But you cut it in half, and then it looks like the end of a log. So that, that diameter is 100 microns, 100 uh, millionths of a meter. And so some of the, the shapes and the targets and the sensors are, are in that range. Some of the line widths in the nano jewelry get down to about 500 nanometers. So you got 100 microns across that hair. One micron is like 100 to the diameter of a human hair. So divide that by 100. Make a little football field on the end of that hair we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so wow. on, the, on the one yard line is the one micron. And then cut that in half, and that's 500 nanometers. So Jeez. that's that's where you're sitting on 500 nanometers. Now, if you want to go into nanotechnology, you're just starting to knock on the door there at, at half of the one-yard line of a 100-yard diameter human hair, and that's where you drop down. And then atoms about a nanometer, a little less than a nanometer in diameter, so there'd be like 500 atoms lined up as you, know, as you get down. And, that's insanely small like my mind (laughs) i can't even conceive how small that is yeah it 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 took me you know it took me a while to to kind of digest this and one thing i like to do is just to talk about atoms you know because that's the fundamental the fundamental building block for now you know scientists always say oh we've arrived at the fundamental limit but they're always wrong so Right. You don't want to say that, but for yeah. now, if atoms are a pretty cool thing. Like I just talked about ripping the electrons off atoms and protons flying. And so, you know, you could build stuff. Things are made out of atoms. And atoms, like, you know, a fraction of a nanometer or a big atom could be like a, about a nanometer. So what I like to do is get a feel for, all right, in the world that we live in, how many atoms are there, Right. Right. And so, because you've got to, you've got to get your head around this. So if you try, try to figure this out, um, I have a little, little uh, story I kind of, I walk through to just start down with a human, with a bird, and then you go down to like an ant and then an ant's leg 
And uh, we talked about this at the at the Commonwealth. But let me let me run through it. So for, okay. for a person, a person has about seven times 10 to the 27th atoms. And so I have nothing to do with that in my head. I don't know what to do with that. Right. <laughs> it's just a lot. So I have to go smaller. Right. Are you guys agree? Yeah. Agreed. OK. So we go smaller like a bird as as two times 10 to the 24. I still can't do anything with that. I just know there's a lot. And then a drop of water is one times 10 to the 21 atoms, you know? So I was like, okay, lots of zeros. Um, then how about an ant? Just a, just a little ant is one times 10 to the 18. That's, that's, um, it's a lot. Still a lot, a lot of zeros. <laughs> yeah, a lot of zeros. And so we, we drop down now. How about an ant's leg? Okay, this is where it starts to make sense for me. So you take an ant and you pluck one leg off of an ant. And an ant's leg is one times 10 to the 15 atoms, just about, you know, one times 10 to the 15. And what that is, that's 1,000 trillion atoms. It's a quadrillion, <laughs> a quadrillion atoms on the in an ant's leg. But this is where it can make sense. So now I'm like, okay, I saw a number I understood in there, a trillion. <laughs> it's like the national <laughs> oh debt, right? Yeah, like, exactly. You know, a piece of the national debt, a bite-sized chunk of the national debt. So I was like, okay, I can do this. So what you do is you take an ant's leg, you divide it into a thousand little pieces with, under a microscope with a tiny razor blade. And the very last tip, that thousandth of an ant's leg is a trillion atoms. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> So now that's at least how I can convert to the nano world. That, that's where I stop. I don't want that's, to go any farther. That, yeah. That's just insane. Like the, <laughs> the nano-ness of nano is just way too nano. Well, it's just way nano. And that's why it trips you out. This is why it'll be good for electronics. There's a, there's a company called D-Wave trying to make these quantum computers. But the thing about it is if you can make uh, transistors at that scale... You could you could make a bucket. There's a certain molecule that looks promising, you know, for switches, which is what transistors do in all your computers, you know. Right. Um, if you could make a transistor on that scale, you could put all of the transistors that have ever been made in the history of the world in a little kid's like sand bucket. Oh my gosh! So what that shows you is just the power of going small. There's room if you can start to make switches out of that stuff. Right. You know, there's a trillion atoms and a thousandth of an ant leg. Well, geez, you know, there's a lot of computing power or a very small phone, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay, so so we kind of get an idea of how nano, nano can possibly be. And it's just mind-boggling, and I'm just going to pretend that I've got a firm, firm <laughs> grasp on it. Because that's about as much as okay. I can do. Now, what sorts of things are scientists and developers heading in like what's the use for such a small scale i mean we've we've heard of we've heard of a lot of things we've heard of kind of little nano molecules that can be injected into a body to um you know interact with diseases somehow we've heard of something called like smart dust which allegedly you know you can spray it over an area and you know can track things in it and you know we've heard a lot of a, a lot of stuff like that, but coming from somebody in the scientific field of nanotechnology, what are some of the uses that are being used now or are looking promising in the future, whether it's biotech or weaponry or whatever, whatever? Yeah, sure. Okay. 
So one of the things we focus on in our book is just what what makes something nano and worthy of being talked about in our book. And we, we decided it was sort of on the nanometer scale from the atom up to 100 or, or uh, 500 nanometers. And, and something was different and then useful because okay. of the scale. Okay, so uh, that's, that's sort of how we gauge it. So what, what happens, what's different, what's useful. And some examples, one, one example I like to point out right away is that when you make titanium uh, dioxide or zinc oxide uh, particles really small, uh, they don't scatter um, the, the white light, they don't scatter that as well. They let that pass, but they absorb the UV light. So you okay. can have the same material that you use for, for white pasty sunscreen. Just by making the particles smaller, it changes how they interact with light, and they actually absorb the UV, but are transparent to the optical that you see. So all of a sudden, you have the same material on your skin, but it's transparent, so you have clear sunscreen. Mm-hmm. So that that was one of the applications of nanotechnology. Um, then just making quantum well lasers and and having the ability uh, to get good re- good return in a specific wavelength sort of led to the blue the blue laser. So the blue ray disc right. readers are, are relying on on an aspect um, of nanotechnology. Another one that's cool is coatings, uh, titanium uh, dioxide can change glass, if you put it on a glass, like a windshield, to be hydrophobic so that the water has to run off in a bead and it can't kind of just stick and puddle there. Right, yeah. And it's, and it's transparent. So if you, if, you covered, if you covered your window with, with uh, much larger particles, it would like, just look like a whiteout. You couldn't see. Right. You'd, also, you'd also have a hydrophobic coating, but you couldn't use your windshield. So... Um, by making nanoparticles, basically, um, you can get really cool optical properties. Um, then there are there are other nanomaterials like carbon nanotubes that are being put into golf clubs and tennis rackets and give them really high strength. So there's uh, strength properties. So a lot of the things you'll see and hear about are in the materials world for optical and uh, strength uh, advantages. Right. Then there's also... Uh, medicine, uh, and then nanoelectronics. So in electronics, self-assembling transistors made out of nanoparticles and molecules could have a huge impact in making higher power, faster, smaller like computers. quantum computing type stuff? Yep, that's, that's one application. Quantum computing is kind of a trip where you, you have a, a, a qubit where instead of a bit that can be a zero or a one, it could be a zero or a one or both. And so right. try to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've actually tried to read some stuff on quantum, the quantum internet. And, and if I'm not mistaken, they can, you know, instead of multiple computing going on, they can just one calculation can effectively be done very quickly, uh, if I'm not mistaken, some, something to that effect. But just kind of moving the conversation along, you know, you, you've talked about all the, the great things that we can do with nanotechnology. And, you know, there's a saying, uh, I think Stan Lee, through the character of Spider-Man, had the saying, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And so my question to you is, what kinds of potential evils can be used with nanotechnology? And are there any parameters in place? Are there any uh, legal parameters or anything that are being talked about as far as some of the 
you know, negative aspects of what can come about from nanotechnology? Yeah, that's a good question. And I guess that ties into the last piece about medical applications. Uh, with medical applications, for example, there's a nanoshell-assisted photothermal therapy that's actually being used where these little shells can absorb the near-infrared light um, when you shine this on them through the skin. And, and they heat up to 40 degrees C, uh, or they, they heat 40, 40 degrees C uh, hotter, while the, the tissue only heats about 10 degrees C hotter. So you don't cook the healthy tissue, you only cook whatever these shells are connected to. And the idea is that there's an antibody targeting cancer, right? And so you, you can use this for cancer therapy, and people are using it. But that could be used for bad if you start pumping shells into people and it goes to some other part of the body you don't want to destroy and then you shine a light on them. That would be bad. Um, <laughs> so, so the idea is that um, just having, having little particles that are focused and targeted to go to certain places in the body, that could be used for good or bad. But also having little particles in the body and little sunscreen particles that can't uh, scatter white light. People are saying, well, they can also go through cell walls, right? Or certain particles of certain size could go through cell walls. What happens? So there's a couple aspects. One, just the carelessness. People need to do a study, and there are studies being done and, and, look, and things being looked into. How do nanoparticles and nanomaterials affect the human body? How do they affect the environment when we make them on purpose? Yeah. But then, then there's also what if things that we do understand, like these nano shells, are used to release poisons instead of um, medicines are used to attach to healthy tissue instead of attached to cancerous tissue. So those, those are questions and, and concerns as well. And, and just like the internet, you know, or, or, or um, any, any tool that, that's been invented in, in the past, it could be used for good or for bad. Absolutely. Have you, um, I'm sure in your field, there's a lot of uh, discussion about, I don't know, maybe some philosophical things or some, I don't know, uh, do scientists get together and really talk about the responsibility of what they're doing or, you know, because the, there's a lot of, just in science in general, a lot of dangerous things happening as well as a lot of good. Uh, you know, we talk about genetic manipulation and stuff around here and how important that discussion is. In your field, do you guys all get together and have talks about, uh, you know, maybe we should watch out for accidentally releasing some scary nanoparticles into the atmosphere that could, you know, make the air explode or anything <laughs> sketchy like that? <laughs> well, it it does come up in, in different uh, forums where the, the environmental impact, uh, health impacts are are being monitored or discussed, but I don't think as much as it should be. Because a lot of times it's just like, oh, one day and the pioneers are running out doing their thing, and I guess the bad guys are secretly somewhere doing their thing. So uh, usually they're they're not talking. So there's <laughs> one thing, and then and then so there's that problem, and then there's the um, just try being the pioneer is a full time job, trying to get something done. So there are regulation and agencies that come along behind are like, well, what about this and what about that? And that sort of naturally polices it. But I think more effort and more thought needs to be put into it. Right. Have you heard of any, I know this isn't your part of your business plan, but have you heard of any nano science going into, you know, 
being weaponized or the potentials for not so cool uses like strengthening golf clubs. <laughs> I don't know. That's not really my field, but I yeah. mean, there are, there are, of course, things you can consider from if you're able to get inside the body or these particles can go through tissue that, that you would say, well, you got to be careful with that. Right. Uh, what about artificial intelligence? How, how does the topic of nanotechnology tie into artificial intelligence and in not just machine intelligence, but the potential of creating artificial life as in, you know, like a sentient machine? Yeah, I think there's a direct connection just talking uh, about the qubits we mentioned a little while ago and then the sheer amount of computing power um, that will be available as you miniaturize the transistor or, or go to qubits or both. Uh, the idea is that, you know, computers, the more computing power they have and the more paths they can consider, they can be helpful when when you um, make an, a query or you ask a question and you look, you do some research, they can sort of uh, find the relevant information. But eventually, it should be possible to make a computer that can read a book and understand it, you know, and say, okay, that book right. was about this. And, oh, I, I like that or I didn't like that. Just by simply having more computing power, um, that, that should be possible. So I think there's a direct connection between the computing power and artificial intelligence that that will be seen as as time goes forward right right all right well that's very cool you know i think we've we've created a good picture of um nanotechnology and that its possibilities and dangers and and kind of where it's going and you know we'll definitely play it seems like we'll definitely play a huge role in the you know coming decades here but let's let's talk a little bit about kind of the more spiritual things. You know, like I mentioned before, you had a very inspiring sort of series of moments in your Commonwealth talk um, about the universe and metaphysics and things. And and you're a Christian dude, right? Yep. Yeah. So why don't you give us a little bit about that, if you, if you can uh, muster up the enthusiasm? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that that got me. I mean, we've been talking about atoms here, and the the word, you know, kind of put forth by by the Greek philosopher uh, Democritus in the fifth century. Um, you know, thinking through this, and he's like, "Hey, atoms are unbreakable. We're made of these unbreakable particles," and that that's where the word comes from. And we know that atoms are not unbreakable now, and in one sense, they're a building block. And so we can say at one level, we're unbreakable. But at another level, all of those unbreakable atoms are made of uh, substanceless vapor and, and wisps of energy. So as, as people look into this, okay, the atoms are not unbreakable. And, you know, we've talked about that already. You can rip electrons off and then you can go down and, and split up protons. And you're looking at all this. And they say, all right, the proton itself is made out of quarks. And then we don't know what a quark is made out of just because we haven't gotten down there yet, right? Um, and so when you see these things, like at the end of an ant's leg, the, the thousand or the trillion atoms in a thousandth of an ant's leg, those atoms are really like galaxies. And so when you ever see anything, even that small, you're looking at a world of worlds. Because each atom is like like the Milky Way. There's, there's the electron, 
but the electron in that or the electrons are their own world and then you go to the proton that doesn't stop it's made of little things that are a thousand times farther away so the exercise ball comes in like this you hold like a, an exercise ball in your hands you say that's the proton of a hydrogen atom where's the electron do you guys know uh really far away yeah it's like a couple miles away and it's going the speed of light if you scaled it up so it's cool. going super fast it's whizzing around your city wherever whatever your city you're sitting in it's buzzing around and and you're you're basically hollow if you're the atom it's just sort of a hollow existence there's nothing between you and the electron for miles and then you're holding the proton you think that's the source of substance you're like all right i got this proton but really as you look at it it's hollow and you look inside of it it's got these quarks and where are they they're like a thousand times down and smaller than you can even see wow you know and then you're like okay i'll go hold, hold a couple quarks in my hand well now you hold them what are they made out of you zoom in everything is buzzing shaking vibrating and it's basically like, like creating an illusion of having substance but if you froze it and took away the energy the question is could you just reach your hand right through a wall because right. it's all energy and it and, and as they go down lower and lower and lower and einstein's like hey i can i have an equation mass can convert to energy and people are like hey that's cool that's really cool for atomic bombs and there we go but think about that wait a minute you know and they don't understand gravity very well because when you have a lot of mass it can pull on other masses they're like what is gravity how does gravity work but as they go smaller and smaller and smaller, everything you hold is like a matryoshka doll from Russia. It's, there's some other doll inside of it. And wow. it's really tiny and far away and, and putting up a bigger bark than, a, than it really is. It's like a tiny dog barking loud because it has so much energy. It's spinning or shaking and it acts like it has a lot of substance, but it's its energy that's holding it up. You go down lower and lower and basically you can follow this train of thought and say, well, what's at the bottom? It goes on forever. And it's just energy. And <laughs> there's some amount, there's energy holding everything together. Yeah. And it all looks like substance, but the substance is just energy. And then you ask, what's that? And you say, how small is small? And you, your mind just gets blown because everything is, everything you're looking at, you're driving on the road, it's basically hollow. Right. It's mostly not there. And so then that's looking down. Then you can turn around and look up. The moon. You know, to go to the moon on, on Southwest Airlines would take you 20 days if you could fly a Southwest airplane, you know. It, and then to go to the sun would take you 21 years on Southwest, right? And then to go to the edge of the known universe would take you 70,000 trillion years on Southwest, right? <laughs> okay, so it's just a long, everything's just a long way away. But yeah. if everything's hollow, like I was just telling you, you could also hold the entire universe on your hand if you could somehow command it to come back and sit on a speck of dust. You could hold all of the stars and all of the sun and all, all of that galaxy I just told you about right in your hand. It would be really dense and like pull you into a black hole because of how gravity works. But if you could somehow <laughs> control gravity for a minute while you had this experience, the whole universe could fit inside your belly button. Wow. So, at the, you know, at the, same, at the same time, you're hollow, but if you had control over all the, all the worlds, you could hold it because it's mostly not there. So it's just a trip. That, and it, that means everything we see is made of unseen worlds of spinning little bits of energy. And 
really isn't even as real as we think. So it's a trip. Do you think that a basic all the way down to the nothing particle even exists or we would even find it? Or do you think it just goes on for infinity? Infinity. Is that a word? Infinity. Infinity. Okay. I really don't know what this is. Maybe it's my Skype on my phone. I'm sorry. But you said, do you think that a basic... No, do you think that we'll ever look so far deep into an atom that we'll ever find a, a basic, I don't know, particle, substance, particle or substance or be able to somehow measure just the basic unit of energy or mass or anything like that? I don't think so. <laughs> You're very certain. So, so how does this tie into your, you know, belief about God and, you know, just because you had mentioned you you are a Christian, how does that, you know, shape your worldview as far as understanding a monotheistic God? Well, I just think it's cool. I, I once, once uh, heard someone telling a story about their experience and they felt like they had this experience, like, like they just saw the hand of God and like the face, the face of God and Jesus looking at them and putting on the creation almost like a glove, like his hand was in it, and that mm. that his hand was in it, and that and and then there's there's one of my favorite scriptures where it talks about that the things that are seen were not made, you know, of things that we can see, right. You know, yeah, and and and, and the, the substance is the substance that we see and feel is less real than what you can't see. And then, and so, a scientist go in, you know, in Hebrews, if you read that, they, a scientist go in, they're like, Well, there's something here we can't see, and then they go deeper, and there's something else we can't see. And basically, you're almost walking from the physical into the spiritual realm, because, it's almost like a seamless transition. Yeah, and it's almost like a glove because it says, you know, nothing, nothing was created without him. Like, he holds everything together. He is the substance, is for him, in him, through him. Like, he, there's this energy, and it's just like we're living in this idea of God where he just has, has an energy outreach. Everything's spinning. We're all so confident. Look at this wall. Look at this ground. Look at this rock. As you start to get into it, it's just all... This, this, like his glove that he put on this, this bit of energy. And if he just said, oh, okay, I'm with that project and shut the energy off, everything would just be like a vapor. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. So yeah it really yeah, gives so, a whole new meaning to like, A, he's in everything. Literally, God is inside of everything, keeping it going. Right, right. You know, the rock, the tree, the air, every little molecule. You know, I think that's something that a lot of people kind of tend to forget. You know, they kind of pray and ask him to be around and come hang out with them. But he's like literally in the chair that I'm sitting on and just in the most demonstrative of ways. Right. Very cool. Do you think that there are spiritual realms, you know, because... There's there's a lot of scripture, and I have been looking into this a little bit more with uh, another friend of mine, Doug Hamp, who talks about in Bible prophecy, when Jesus returns, he actually 
talks about the veil coming down and like dimensions sort of. Yeah. And, and this, the, you know, this reality basically rolling up like a scroll and, you know, all the mountains being taken out of its place and stuff like that. So it seems to be that the, the sort of spiritual realm or dimension and our dimension, our world, as far as looking at the old Testament and what happened after the garden of Eden, the two realms were sort of separated or uh, divided up and and one couldn't really pass into the other freely as much as it used to. Uh, do you think that there's that non-physical realm? Non, I guess non-physical doesn't even make sense anymore after this conversation, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, in a practical sense, a non-physical spiritual realm that is, that can be measured and can, I, I guess, do you believe in there, that there are physics of a spiritual realm? I I don't know. I don't know how. I just, it, I think we don't understand what we, first of all, we can't understand what we don't know. We have no clue how little we know. We What we do know, we barely know. <laughs> so, and, and we think we know a lot more than we really know. So it's uh, it's just awesome and huge. And I think there are more mysteries than we could even contain in our mind. There's dimensions and realms, I'm sure. That, that would blow our mind from the experiences I've had and in, in talking with others. Um, it, yeah, you know, like I was yeah. just hearing, hearing you guys talk about that. There's the energy that holds the molecules of the chair together. I mean, like Jesus himself is in that somehow, like he's holding that together. And then how, how he separates the realms from the incompatibility, uh, you know, from the fall, from the, from the blood-covered saints that can come with him and those that reject him, how he has to separate the realms. There's going to be a great separation. And then there's all the different levels and, and um, connectedness and the, the spiritual vehicle that he's put inside of us. Like the spiritual realm is more real than the physical realm. And, and uh, when people close their eyes and can see pictures and visions and dreams, they're like, oh, that was cute. Now I'm going to go to work and sit in a cubicle. And they think that cubicle is more real. But the dreams or the visions or the pictures were into another direction and another realm that is actually more real. That's on the side of who created the, the, the cubicle they're sitting in, the atoms of the cubicle, you know. Right. And it's, <laughs> it's just a trip because we get it sort of upside down and backwards. But the the little wisps, the little the little messages that come, the little visions, the little corrections, the love, that you know, that these... These insights in the spiritual realm are more real than the physical. And as you're talking, you, know, you can kind of see there's some overlap yeah. because, because the whole physical realm is held together by this invisible force and energy that nobody can get to the bottom of. So that itself is a trip. But then there's also seems to be this other sort of way in through the, through the spirit and the soul and the, the consciousness that goes in to the spiritual realm. Now, so it seems yeah. like there's at least two routes. There's probably a million more because as soon as we say, oh, there's two. Right. right yeah. Line, you know? <laughs> well, it reminds me when you're talking about there's something about us that will allow us to to pass on into, you know, heaven or, or that realm or dimension or whatever. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, the little nanomolecules that are able to kind of pass through different tissues, you know, right, into, right. into different zones. So. That's a good point. Now, do you think uh, I've looked at and others, uh, colleagues and fellow researchers have looked at 
just the basic philosophical materialism. And a lot of them are saying, even secular scientists are starting to say that, you know, philosophical materialism, which is the dominant view that's being taught in the universities and stuff like that, that it's in deep trouble and that actually it's probably doesn't have, you know, another generation or two left before it gets sort of disproven both philosophically and it seems scientifically. Uh, do you see that in, you know, in the scientific world? And what I know that what's being replaced is not so much a monotheistic, you know, a Christian worldview, but more so of a new age uh, pantheistic view of the world that, you know, God is, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to verbally parse out because when you say God is in everything, that's sort of the pantheistic view, but there is truth in that from the, the biblical perspective. So uh, do you see any of that materialism or philosophical materialism breaking down in the scientific community? Well, what, what I've seen is interesting is, is uh, as people look deeper and, and talk, they have to adjust their language sometimes. And, and one, one example is just when you look at the cell, the intricacies of how a cell in the human body works. Yeah. And, and there's a whole book dedicated to it by like six expert authors called the cell. And it's like the Bible on the cell. It is the most complicated, amazing organism structure, like factory slash city you could even imagine. And, and, and when you're, when you're back in Darwin's beagle boat, you know, looking around, he didn't, he couldn't see the end of the cell and he was looking for different clues and trying to figure stuff out. But people who are trying to cling to uh, just, oh, just science and there's nothing else when they're looking at the cell or they're, they're looking at the intricacies of how they, the, the subatomic world works. You hear things like this, this, um, this uh, in, was engineered or how it was built or, or you know, or this, this was created, you know, and it, 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 uh, it raises the question. I think at least the question, if, if you don't hear it verbally expressed, at least raises the question. And, and I think that's fantastic. You know, that as people look in, I mean, these mysteries, uh, as you dig into them, they, they speak towards a creator. Yeah. And, and that, and that goes even into, this whole debate on, well, how is the world created in seven days? And what about this? And, and I say, look, you, you cannot even understand what it would be like if you were the all, all powerful God and you could hold the universe in your hand. Let me ask you this. If your hand got close to earth, would you bend the spot, the space time continuum? And the answer is yes. And would it trip out what time thought happened? If you did something for one day, but you were so gravitationally awesome that time was bent and it seemed like a thousand years. Gravitationally <laughs> awesome. That's such a good phrase. <laughs> you know, if you were, just think about it for a second. Right. You could totally jack with the whole idea of how long something was around. If you if you were the one that touched the molecules, I mean, the whole clock can change and then there's Noah's flood and all this stuff. And as people dig and hunt and, and look through, through scientific literature, they, they just found a footprint that was stuck in the mud somewhere in Africa. And they said, Oh, look, it shows that people were running a million years fast sooner than we thought. I said, what, how many years? A million years. You know, they, they rubbed their hand over their face a million years sooner than you thought people, a million, like who even talks in a million years? So their whole theory was off by a million years right. of when they thought somebody could run through the Savannah 
And, and I was like, you guys, look, this is all jacked up. If there really was an atmospheric change, if someone so powerful got close and then left because of sin or something changed, all your signatures that you were extrapolating back on could be wrong. Right. And right. it's a trip, you know, because the more they dig, the more they find a benevolent, loving, beautiful God has thought this through, you know? Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's uh, that's uniformitarianism, amazing. I believe, is the word that uh, what scientists do today is that they use today's parameters and they yeah, yeah, apply right. it to all time, all history, all time. And that doesn't right. always work out. Right. Mm. Yeah, it kind of seems like, you know, during the, the Enlightenment, we kind of started discovering things and we're like, oh, we don't need God anymore. We can we can kind of see how things are going ourselves. And then we're kind of getting into a zone where it's just getting mind-bogglingly like more intense than anybody could have imagined. And like, well, maybe we should think about this one more time. Right, right. Maybe there is something a little bit more intense going on. Well, that's yep. very cool. All right. Well, Jesse, was is there anything just burning on your heart that you'd like to share or talk about? I think that was it. I just had to get gravitationally awesome in, in there. <laughs> that, I'm going to start using that as, as often as possible. Gravitationally awesome. <laughs> I think that's a new uh, name for God that I don't know if I've ever heard before. <laughs> oh, Lord, you are so gravitationally awesome. I'm going to put that in a worship song or something. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> All right. Well, Jesse Adams, Dr. Jesse Adams, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This is a really great conversation, and we appreciate you taking the time to come on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a good time. All right. Well, we'll talk to you later. All right. You guys take care. Later, man. All right. Bye. Bye. So there you have it, folks. That was our conversation with Dr. Jesse Adams, nanotechnology expert and also mind-expanding science universe guy. Gravitationally awesome. Gravitationally awesome. Um, we hope that you enjoyed that and that you got some uh, mind-bendingly um, interesting facts out of it. And um, I don't know. What else is going on, Gans? Well, that's about it. Uh, that's if, about you, it. if you have any thoughts, you can go to the comment section and just start talking. Let's go for it. Okay. All right, everybody. Don't forget to go to iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. A thumbs up on Stitcher. And, uh, I don't know, t-shirts or something. Support tab. Store tab on the website. Yeah, and also, real quick, though. Just want to tease our next guest for the next episode. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Teased. You have been teased. <laughs> all officially teased. All right, so there you go. So now that you're so teased, make sure to check out Canary Cry Radio on our next episode and until you do that think outside the cage why is it so spazzy <laughs> alright okay Ugh. sounds good